Welcome to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, which is made possible by you, our patrons on Patreon. I'm Dom Bettinelli. We're always looking for ways to thank you for your generosity in making all our shows on StarQuest possible, and this is another one of those ways. Recently, in episode 41 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, we discussed the secret government UFO program called ATIP. And Jimmy, welcome Jimmy. Hi, how's it going, Dom? <laughs> Very good. I forgot to introduce you, but Jimmy let us know at the time that the History Channel was planning a new series based on that program. Well, now we've watched the first couple of episodes of this series, which is called Unidentified. And that's what we'll be talking about on this special presentation of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Well, Jimmy, so this is an interesting approach that they've taken to this whole this whole phenomenon uh, mm -hmm. where... We have, what is it called, the To the Stars Foundation? To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences. Okay. So um, what happened was, you know, a number of years ago, by congressional mandate, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, started the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, or ATIP, and it was headed by a guy named uh, Luis Elizondo, and he got a bunch of, you know, research done. They got a bunch of videos of like gun camera footage of uh, from our Navy and other forces encountering unidentified aircraft that way outperformed anything we could do. And he felt that the potential threat was not being taken seriously enough. And to call more attention to it, he ended up resigning, which allowed him to send a letter over his superiors in the chain of command uh, directly to the top and say, this is not being taken seriously enough. And I'm serious enough about this that I'm proving it by leaving. And that helped get a conversation started about the program. It's apparently been reinvigorated from what we can tell. After he left, he then got associated with this group called the To the Stars Academy of Arts and Sciences, which was founded by uh, Tom DeLong of the group Blink followed by some number that I'm, 182 blink 182 that I'm not personally that familiar with. He just as a musician, Tom DeLong was interested in UFOs and pounded on enough doors to make some actual connections and founded using the money he made from rock and roll, founded the to the stars Academy of arts and sciences to help educate the public about, you know, the potential for there being alien UFOs and, there's both an arts. You'll notice they're they're called the Academy of Arts and Sciences. So some of some of what they do is on the artistic side. Like he he wrote a novel called Secret Machines. Then other stuff is more on the scientific side. They've got some former government uh, scientists like Hal Putoff doing tests on materials that were recovered from you know, sites that could be or could not be extraterrestrial. So they're trying to figure that out. So they have both this art approach and science approach. And that's what we have going on here in the latter is more what we have going on here in the Unidentified series. It's a six-part miniseries. There may be a future seasons of it, but this season is six episodes. And it follows Luis Elizondo going around and interviewing people so far, people who were connected with the Tic Tac incident that occurred off the coast of San Diego here back in 2004, which is one of the ones that the gun camera footage has been released for. And so in the first episode that he, he interviews the pilots of two of the planes that were involved in that, 
And in the second episode, he interviews like a radar guy uh, who was uh, monitoring the situation as it unfolded. So uh, I give you my impressions of of the show and of the people. Elizondo is different from than I imagined him to be. He is not a scientist or government bureaucrat. He's got a goatee. He's got tattoos, a trucker hat, wears blue jeans. He's he, he's a, pre, a counterintelligence officer. That was his career at the Department of Defense until he took over ATIP. So this is not the sort of guy I thought would be in charge of this. So that I thought that was interesting. And you really get a He did wear a suit at the Pentagon. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, he, he's he's more of a he comes across as let me put it that way, as a field guy more than a halls of political power kind of guy. But that's how it comes across in the series. Mm-hmm. He still he says clearly he still has a security clearance, so he needs to gather unclassified information for evidence. He, he, in fact, he tells the people he interviews who also have access to secure or classified information that if they mention anything classified, he'll stop the interview right there uh, because he doesn't want to violate anything, which is admirable, at least. And there's some interesting, you know, room for interpretation about what can we talk about versus what we can't. In the second episode, he's talking to a guy from Skunk Works, which is a a Lockheed Martin uh, aircraft development office. And he's talking to a guy who has a security clearance and is involved in designing top secret planes for the Skunk Works. And he says, "Okay, don't tell me anything classified, but can you tell me about this? And the guy's like, no, I'm not going there. I'm not telling you anything about what we did at Skunk Works. And he pushes him a couple of times. And the guy will not talk about Skunk Works. Right. He asked him about in that one. He That's a guy who now is retired and works for the Two of the Stars Academy. But he asked him about how they test special yeah. aircraft and wouldn't talk about it. And because, like you said, Skunk Works makes the most advanced aircraft we have. If this were an American aircraft that they're encountering, this guy probably would know about it or would yeah. at least have some clue what he's trying at that point to get the guy to say, because in, in episode two, when he talks to the radar man, the radar guy says, and this is actually one of the things I like about these two episodes is they kind of unfold the timeline in a way that you don't get in like the New York times articles that have been written about this. So apparently putting the information from the first two episodes together on one day and over a period, I think of a few days, this radar guy started seeing clusters of unidentified objects, like 10 or 12 of them, flying south over Catalina Island. And he saw these clusters repeatedly. And he said, oh, I guess over the course of a day or so, they had like 100 contacts with these things. Yeah, and they kept coming back and doing this. And so the radar guy went to his commander and said, I think we should do an intercept on one of these. And try to find out what they are, because they're nothing that we know about. I mean, they're they're not showing up as their their profile is not anything like a known craft. Then they sent out two jets whose uh, one of the pilots is named Fravor. The other is a, a lady who chooses to remain unidentified. And they were the pilots interviewed in the first episode. They did the intercept. They saw these one of these things in action. And then after their mission, they sent out another flight, and that's the one where the gun camera footage comes from. And so you get this sense of the timeline of how this event transpired. It wasn't just one encounter. It was more complex than that. And they are in the vicinity of some military testing facilities. 
And that's what Luis Elizondo is trying to get the Skunk Works guy to say is when we test aircraft, we don't do it like this. We don't we don't have them flying into a naval war games area without telling anybody they're coming. And the guy won't say that directly because he doesn't want to reveal how Skunk Works actually tests stuff. But he finds another way of saying, basically, yeah, we don't do that. Based on declassified public information about a program that people know about. And he says, look at this picture of this and look at the video that is de- a declassified video of this thing flying. That's this is not at all like what happened. Yeah. So one of the, my impressions of this, of the show itself is it has the the flaw of a lot of these cable channel documentaries, which is it's heavily padded with repetition and unnecessary detail, unnecessary drama. Um, yeah. They, they give us a list of the ships in the carrier battle group. I, I don't know why we need that. It just impresses us with data. I, I, th- I, I think that there is an element of this, but I've seen way worse. Oh, yes. I was I was <laughs> I was recently watching a hunt for the Zodiac killer documentary series. And I just wanted to pound my head on the desk over all of the repetition. It was therefore a treat when I was listening to the episode, The Broken Clock in Big Finish's Missy uh, <laughs> audio Who? play series, <laughs> where we have The Broken Clock play is an episode of Dick Zodiac's America's Most Impossible Killers. And they are just relentlessly, mercilessly satirizing the conventions of badly made TV documentaries. <laughs> That's awesome. And so that was very cathartic for me. But by comparison, I thought Unidentified was much more restrained. It didn't have nearly as much repetition in like the voiceovers and stuff as I was expecting. It did have some of the things like where Luis Elizondo is talking to someone and he's kind of acting like he's hearing this for the first time when you know he already knows this. I don't I, I'm not personally a fan of that. I understand why they do that. I understand it's for drama to kind of storify the documentary series as if it's an investigation. I would much prefer, you know, like Just straight up lecture courtroom presentation. That's what I try to do on Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. I mean, I will. I, I don't pretend I'm learning all of this for the first time, <laughs> right. but I will tell things in. Here's the story. Here's the narrative and how it all happened. But then when we get to the analytical part, it's like, OK, let's think like lawyers. How would I argue this in a courtroom? Here are the arguments. Bang, 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 bang. And here are the rejoinders. And in our presentation, I have your outline in front of me. So when I ask you a question, I know I, I know kind of what the answer is going to be. But the goal there is just to 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 kind of help, you know, lead the listener through what we're what we're talking about and, and to be the voice of the listener, uh, which is a little different yeah. from this. One of the things I think is 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 funny. Is yeah, we're not we're not you're not pretending. Oh, I never knew this before because I haven't read past this point in the outline. <laughs> I know, exactly. A couple of things that, that kind of uh, are amusing to me that they do is. They have lots of overhead drone shots of vehicles driving, which yeah, is a, that's another another trope in modern TV documentaries. Yeah. It's a but it gives this this ominous sense of uh, spying, like someone is watching from space, like a satellite or UFOs. And then they also mm-hmm. keep saying the people are located in an undisclosed lo- location in Florida. Just, just say Florida. <laughs> you don't need to. Yeah. You don't need to say undisclosed. <laughs> we don't want to tell you where this guy lives, so you can go annoy him. Of course not. If anything, that'll just attract more attention to it. It's like, ooh, I bet I can figure that out by the road signs they're driving past. Right. And, and well, the other thing you mentioned is, is that it is often presented as if this is the first time that Elizondo is hearing all of this. But like, what was he doing all those years working for A-Tip then? Like, 
did he not go through all of these incidents already? Does he not know more than he's able to tell us here in yeah. this? Well, he yeah, he he does. And again, I think this is mild by comparison, just to use the hunt for the Zodiac killer as another point of reference. I was watching that and those guys who they're pretending to do an investigation and they're seriously acting like they've just made these jaw dropping discoveries. And oh, that's a game changer. We have to have a reference to a game changer or that's massive every episode. And they were talking about stuff that if you've read any book about the Zodiac killer before, you already know this. Uh, these, it is just completely phony. In Elizondo's case, I think it's much more restrained. He doesn't act like, I mean, there's a little bit of selling it for drama, but it's not nearly to the same level of pretending, oh, I've never heard that. That's a game changer. There, there is one moment where they have one of the other fellows. I want to talk about him in a second, but Chris Mellon says, I've obtained an A-tip document. Well, gee, where would you might have gotten hold of an A-tip document from? You don't happen to know anybody who worked at A-tip, do you? <laughs> I, I thought that was kind of funny, that the, the drama of that. Now, Chris Mellon is very interesting. He's one of yeah. the other people involved. He's the highest ranking ex-government official working for, to the stars. He is the former deputy director of the Department of Defense for Intelligence. This, this is the sort of person who would know stuff, <laughs> a lot yeah. of stuff. And by him being involved in this, saying, no, we don't know about these things. They're not I mean, the, the implicit argument. And I'm sure they'll make it explicit at some point. Or I'd imagine they will. Is this is the guy who would know if these were our craft. And since he doesn't know, that suggests they are not our craft. So either they are something created by a rival government that has made an amazing technological breakthrough or series of technological breakthroughs. Or they're extraterrestrial. Right. There is one point where he says uh, he's been to Area 51 in his previous work as deputy director of defense and said to someone there. So, you know, something along the lines of. So I bet there's a lot of weird stuff you've seen expecting them to say, well, I can't talk about it or no, no, no. And they, the guys he said it to both kind of went, oh, yeah, <laughs> like you. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so we've seen some weird stuff. And that so I think that's one of the things that kind of sets him. Uh, off on this journey, I think. And then they talk a bit about, was it Leon Podesta? Is the, uh -huh, yeah. The, the, he's a former chief of staff to President Clinton and then worked for the Obamas. And they don't actually come right out and say it, but he also worked for Hillary. He's a UFO believer. Right. But he, and he also worked for Hillary Clinton's uh, political campaign. And mm -hmm. yes, the UFO believer thing, where he at once had said his greatest regret working in uh, as chief of staff was that he, they didn't declassify more UFO stuff for the public. Which is interesting. And he sort of is the is is presented as a guy who helped connect people, Tom DeLong and Luis Elizondo and Chris Mellon. He was sort of a connector in, in all of this. But I thought that was an interesting mention of him. There's also a hint that somehow the Vatican's going to be involved here because they've shown some some B-roll footage of Tom DeLong uh, when they were talking about his story. Some B-roll footage that I think is going to come up in a later episode hmm. where he's walking through St. Peter's Square and then another point walking at night and walking through the streets of Rome during the day. That's very clear to me. Hmm. That's where he is. So I, I missed that. Yeah, that'll be interesting. They may talk to someone from the Vatican Observatory who will say the predictable thing of, no, we don't know if there's alien life, but we don't have a problem with it if there is. Right, right. So that'd be interesting Un unless, you know, they just something to be to be uh, revealed uh, in that so uh, so 
one of the things that, that I think it was Chris Mellon says is what's what he wants to know. I think it's Chris Mellon. It might be one or the other. No, it was a favor of uh, the, the pilot. Favor. Favor. He says, what we need to know is, is this E.T. or Independence Day? <laughs> and I think that's mm-hmm. a really good way of pl- putting it for a mass audience. E.T. was the friendly little alien, you know, that we're happy to meet. And then there's Independence Day. We all know what happened in Independence Day. And it sort of puts it in a stark contrast. So I'm still I'm still open minded and I'm still I'm sucked in a little bit to this. I'm interested in finding how the, where this goes. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. And and despite the hyped up drama a little bit, I'm concerned with what is going on, um, especially mm-hmm. given the pedigree of the people involved. Yeah, I think there's a need for this program. I mean, whether it's whether these things, if they're not ours, then whether these things are from another country here on Earth or from somewhere else, we need to know about them because they're doing stuff that our present generation of technology cannot do. Right. And there's definitely something happening. And the question only the only question is, is what is it? Uh, so I think that's that's enough to to kind of whet your appetite as to, yeah. to this here. I, I know in I know in future episodes of the show they're going to be doing some of the materials science, and I'm interested to see that. A lot of it, if you followed, I, I think how how well you'll enjoy the series will depend on how much you already know about this area. If you if you're very familiar with it, uh, there hasn't in the first two episodes there hasn't been a lot that's new that wasn't previously known. I did like the way they put it together. In the first two episodes, it made some things clearer, but not a lot of things I hadn't heard before. But for most people, because I've been following this really closely, but for most people, if you haven't been really researching ATIP and what's been going on, there will be a lot that's new for you. And it is a nice presentation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And you're right. This is this is even though it falls for some of the U.S. documentary tropes, it's not as bad as like, say, something on the Fox network, which is often yeah. has the worst track record for that. When animals attack, when a tip attacks. So, so that's it from us. Uh, I do want to thank all of our patrons and especially uh, those of you who are listening now. We're interested in hearing from you uh, comment on this in Patreon or send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com to let us know what you think of this presentation, whether you've watched the show, what you think of it. Uh, if you have ideas for other special patreon content that you'd like to see from us we'd we'd love to hear that from you as well and you're always welcome to tweet us at mys underscore world with the hashtag of mysterious feedback and uh you can find of course the the rest of our regular shows at sqpn.com slash mysterious so until next time jimmy yakin thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world thanks dom and once again i'm dom bettinelli Thank you for listening to and supporting Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World on StarQuest.